I'm reading in Luke 17, verse 1. Then he, that is Jesus, said to the disciples, the word disciples is a Greek word that means students. Any students here that are students of our Lord? I see a few of you are. Anybody else? God bless all 13 of you that raised your hand. Amen. I am a committed student of the Lord. And I study the word of God every day. And I want him to speak to me. I'm trying to get some of the junk that was programmed into me out and replace it with the truth of God's word. And I figured out in my own life, you can't get too much of the word of God. You can get too little, but you can't get too much. And God is amazing. But he said to his students, it is impossible. Now, this is the Lord. It is impossible that no offenses should come. So all of those of you that are looking for a perfect world, perfect marriage, that really got quiet. You could feel that. That was palpable. Perfect church. Guess what? It is impossible from the lips of no less than the master now. That no offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they come. It is impossible, Jesus was saying, to live in this fallen world without offenses hurting you. And so my question today is going to be, what are you still dealing with from your past? If everybody goes through life and gets wounded and it's impossible to live life without Having offenses rise. What is it you're dealing with? And even more, what are you dealing with that you don't even know about yet? Because we have stuff that goes on in our heart that we haven't even diagnosed yet. And this has been a crazy week. I made the decision to speak on this after last Sunday because I just thought... I wanted to expand a little bit on some of the life application points. And then this week has, it's been crazy. And uh, I'm a pastor. I hurt for people who hurt. I love people. And when I see them go through trauma and pain, it, it does a number on me. And I have learned that in the presence of Jehovah, there is healing. God heals. And it is to people who might, and I've dealt with some this week who didn't even know this was my message for today. It's just part of the process of pastoring that you try to help people. We, our, our staff tries to do as much of that as we can and are able to by God's grace. But... They had no idea I'd be speaking from the subject I'm about to announce, and that is recovering from your past. Recovering from your past. Father, we don't ask that your word would be anointed. It already is. What we ask is instead that you would kindly anoint me and anoint the ears of everyone here to hear that I can communicate the concepts of truth in your word and that they can receive them. And then you do that, that wonderful thing that you do that causes your word to change us forever. We ask it 
And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. Now, I'm getting a late start. Will you mind giving me just a few minutes here? Okay, those of you that didn't, should tell me what I should do. Should I dismiss you right now? Okay, or are you going to be generous with me for a few minutes? Thank you. I promise I won't waste your time. People suffer in this world, don't they? You got people all around you that are suffering and you'd never know it because they won't tell you. You're hurting in some cases and you're not going to tell anybody that either. Have you ever noticed though that when it comes to this thing of offense that people in today's world is different than when it was as when I was a child. Today, people take pride in being easily offended. It's not just, I'm upset, I'm easily upset. You know, like it's your fault or something. People get offended about politics. They get offended about religion. They get offended about ethnicity, money, economics, identity, gender, everything. Everything is an offense. And yet Psalms 119 165, if you've never read that, that's the middle of the Bible, the longest book, the longest chapter in the Bible. You ought to read it. It's amazing. God's word says, great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Wait a minute. Didn't you just say that Jesus said offenses will come? Yes. You see, the word that is used for offend here. And Psalms 119 is the Hebrew word because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew that means to make somebody stumble, stick your foot out and trip them, right? Do it intentionally. And you won't have a life if you expect to go through life without somebody sticking their foot out. I promise you it's going to happen. The devil's going to do it. But what this verse is saying When it says nothing shall trip them, make them stumble, you may, as it were, stagger for a moment, lose your balance for a sec. But when you are so focused on God that his beauty is all you can see, it does something to you in the middle of those moments where offenses come. One of the principles that And Jesus taught many. And one of the principles that he's addressing here is how you can be successful in ministry, business, marriage, family, raising kids with your neighbors. Jesus said to first recognize that it is impossible to live and there not be offenses. And the word there is different than the one in the Old Testament. Because that word... Because the New Testament is written in Greek is the Greek word scandalon. We get our word scandal from that word. And what it means is a trap. So now we've moved to where it's more than just you stumbling and somebody stuck their foot out. It's actually a trap designed to get to catch you. A snare, an offense. And that can be in a temptation, a betrayal. It can be an inducement, enticement to do wrong. Um, But the enemy sets traps in our lives with the intention of 
having us become snared in an offense. And when we think that about the word offense, we always associate certain emotional content with it. Like I'm offended, I'm angry is what we really mean. But in its original form, it means to be trapped. The enemy's setting a trap for you. And do you know what happens? After the enemy sets that trap and we get stuck, many times life goes on for years and years and years and we're still stuck back there 25 years ago in that trap. And what's worse is we don't even realize it. And if I was Elvis, I would sing, caught in a trap. Because we get caught in a trap. That the enemy sets up. I'm not, so I won't bore you with singing. Carlos Anacondia, the great South American evangelist that I've been privileged to know and meet. We went, Jerry and I went to um, Argentina with some friends. And we went to one of his meetings. Pastor Joe went and one of his crusades. And there's huge deliverance that occurs. And there's going to be deliverance in this service this morning for people who need deliverance from oppression. One of the things that Carlos told us, and he had a tent behind the stage, and he'd give the altar call, but they would take people back there that needed to be delivered. And he would explain, he said, the reason is, is 90% of those that end up getting in bondage to the enemy that get bound, there's something they haven't let go of and forget, forgiven yet. And so we help them walk through that until we find the trap that the enemy caught them in. And then we renounce it and they get free. He said, otherwise what happens is you can cast the demonic spirit out and it goes out for a while and it comes right back in because people don't know how to stop it. They don't know how to fix what allowed it to get in to start with. And I've had this discussion with people before and we definitely believe in casting out demonic spirits. But just so you'll know, I've never been fond of this whole thing about here I am casting out a demon, take a selfie, you know, and you know, what's this? I'm a, no, uh-uh. Man, there's brokenness where those things are. Those things enter because somebody got hurt, but it doesn't start with that. I look at Absalom in the Old Testament. According to the U.S. Census information, only one out of 96,799 people, one out of each 96,799 people in America have the name Absalom. And just so that I'll be on safe ground, anybody here have the name Absalom? Okay. If you raise your hand, I'll be real careful about what I say. You said you've already done it. No, did you know that the name Absalom ranks right up there with Jezebel? People will not name their kids Absalom or Jezebel generally unless they just like the name and maybe don't know the meaning behind it. Few people will name their son Absalom. Yet it is one of the most beautiful names in the Bible. Do you know that it means father of peace? Look at his name. You can actually see the word Ab and then Shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word meaning wholeness, wellness, peace. That was Absalom's destiny. He was sent to the world to bring peace. Instead, there's not an individual in the Bible more associated with division, with trauma, 
with pain than Absalom. He became almost synonymous with conflict. Who was Absalom? He was King David's son, one of a number of them. There are scholars, as Pastor Andrew pointed out last week, that believe that David was actually an illegitimate son. And there are a number of passages in the scripture that kind of lead people to conclude that. I don't know, someday I'll get to heaven, and I guess you will too, we can ask him. But I do know this, there was trauma in David that he passed on to his family, buddy. Boy, did he ever. And how many of us have done the same thing unintentionally? That's a study for another day. But anytime that happens, it sets up what we call generational curses in families. What we're really talking about is opening up a door and it opens through trauma. And then it's perpetuated to the next generation and the next and out of it come all kind of things like coping mechanisms and addictions and everything else. And let me tell you what happened with Absalom, David's son. Something opened the door in David's family. How do I know that? David had an affair with the wife of one of his best friends, Uriah the Hittite. Then he had Uriah killed. By the way, Uriah was one of the 600 men in the wilderness with David, one of his top 30 warriors. Then after that, one of David's sons, Amnon, raped his own sister, Tamor. And then Absalom ended up killing Ammon after David ignored and did nothing about the violation of Absalom's sister. Absalom then became alienated from his own father for three years. Longer, actually, he was going out of the country for three years. They did not talk literally for years, even after when he came back. Then Absalom ended up leading a revolt, a coup d'etat, against his own father and tried to take his throne away from him. He sexually assaulted David's wives in the sight of the whole nation of Israel. And then Absalom was killed in the decisive battle that would determine who would actually wear the crown. Another one of David's sons, Adonijah, tried to usurp the throne from his father David and become king. Another one of David's sons, King Solomon, ended up killing Adonijah. You talk about a family that was a hot mess. Lord, have mercy. That's just in two generations. You see, that's what creates this cycle. It's, a, it's some kind of wound. It's a trap. Somebody falls into it. Maybe it was your grandfather, great-grandfather, you maybe, me. And if I'm talking to anybody and I'm getting so close that this is painful, I don't mean for it to be, but what we want to do is shed some light where healing can occur, where you can move beyond that. Offenses come. That's the cycle. Jesus said it. If you're looking for a world with no offenses, it's not going to be this one. There wasn't even a heaven without offenses. Satan offended in heaven. I want you to think about it. Bad things happen. Painful things wound you. And this is what Jesus said in John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The word tribulation means pressure. You're not going to live without it. It's coming. 
But I want to tell you about somebody who can give you victory in the middle of your pressure, your stress, your trauma, your pain, and your struggle. Jesus said, these things I've spoken unto you that in me you might, the word might, have peace. Do you know the word might? Because that's written in Greek, the New Testament is. The Greek word is the word echo. Same word we use to describe an echo. We've borrowed that from the Greeks. And an echo is to repeat the same sound or the same thing. And what Jesus is literally saying is, you can echo in the middle of your adversity the same peace, the same, as it were, blessedness that I am speaking. And I think about the time that he was in the boat and the boat was about to sink and he was sound asleep and the disciples were running around like their hair was on fire and woke Jesus up and said, ah, don't you care that we perish? And he rebuked the storm. That's the kind of echo you can have in your life. But what happens is we dwell on what has occurred. The betrayal, the pain. And I've dealt with things just this week, so I'm in no way referencing those if you happen to be here. That's how I already plan to speak on this. What we do is dwell on the problem. But this is what we should do. Peter said we should cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. You don't carry it. You let him carry it. Do you hear what I'm saying? And then Jesus said, we should go to him when we are weak and heavy laden and he will give us rest. Hallelujah. We employ our own coping mechanisms. So we dwell on it and we begin to think about it. The offense comes. And at that point, it becomes an obsession, right? Because the more you think about it, the more you dwell on it, the worse it gets. That's what Absalom did. His brother betrayed Absalom's sister and Absalom dwelt on it and dwelt on it and dwelt on it until finally he ended up doing something about it. We fixate on the hurt and that's natural. You will be wounded in this world, but it doesn't have to make you fall. If you go to God, he will help you. And this is so important in the messed up world we live in for our young people to learn also. Can I say that? I'm so glad we prayed for our young people a few minutes ago. Come on and somebody take a praise break. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're serving you notice that we're serving the devil notice. He better not mess with our kids. We'll go to fasting and praying and mess him up if he does. We're not going to take it sitting down. We fixate on the hurt. And we begin to question what somebody did and what we should have done. I have a friend that's the fastest on his feet I've ever known. He can think just like that. And he pastored in the state of Indiana and I was preaching for him. And we were laughing one day and he was telling me that there were four lanes and all of them were bumper to bumper with traffic. Two coming this way, two going that way. He was in the left lane to make a turn across the oncoming traffic, the two lanes. And the lady behind him was impatient. She didn't toot her horn. You've heard the old saying, blessed is he who toots his own horn for it shall be well tooted. (laughs) She didn't toot the horn. She acted like she was trying to reach through the steering column and grab the front bumper. 
And so she sat down on the horn and he thinks so fast and he's such a good guy. You know what he did? He just put his car in park, got out, smiled, walked back to her and said, good afternoon, ma'am. If you will come make this turn for me, I would be happy to hold your horn down for you. And you think about what you should have said. Wish I should have, I never have been able to do that. You, anybody else know what I'm talking about? You walk off and you say, why didn't I say this? And we, re, we go through all of this. Here's an illustration. I almost brought one to the platform, but I realized those in the back wouldn't even be able to see it. But if I have a mirror and I'm looking at the mirror at myself, guess what I'm not seeing? The future, what's in front of me, or what's on either side of me. Instead, what I am seeing is myself framed by what has already happened in my past. Don't let your past frame your life. What something has happened or what has happened, don't let it frame your life. Because we move on from the offense to this obsession. We fixate on it. We keep looking at it and thinking about what that person should have done. Shame on them. They didn't. What we should have done. What I wish I would have said. What should have happened. And we become depressed. And there's a profound reason why. And I'm going to finish this in just a couple, a few more minutes. Start to say a couple, but I don't want to lie. Amen. But seriously speaking, the reason people get depressed is not because their emotions get depressed and that changes their thoughts. It's their thoughts change their emotions. That can be a chemical imbalance. It can be a trauma, a tragedy. Let me explain. You're on vacation going through the Mojave Desert where there is no cell phone coverage. And then guess what happens? You get to the other side And one of your kids calls, you're on vacation. They say, dad, mom, your pet dog just got run over. You were happy. Look at that. Look at that. Look at the desert. Look at, but the moment they tell you the bad news, your emotions go wham straight to the bottom. Why? It was the information that changed your thinking that facilitated the emotion. Wasn't your emotion changed the information. You see what I mean? And so if you are obsessing on things that have happened when you were a child, I've been there. I got it. I understand. I've lived through it. I was four years old when my mama looked at me and said, I don't want to be your mama anymore. I lived through that. Some of you lived through terrible things. I know about abuse. My dad was my biggest enemy until I became grown. And then he got wonderfully converted. And he became such a good dad. We'll never forget Mama Charlotte, the old location on Wallaceville and the legacy building. And I had just come here and she heard about my story and she came up to me and she said, son, I'm going to be your mama from here on out. And she has been. And I, I bless her for that. Mom, thank you. She's been amazing. Amen. People become depressed. They frame their life by what's behind them rather than what is in front of you. 
And you know what that leads to? That leads to regression because they begin to think, man, this is not going the right way. And they go see a pastor or a counselor. They go see somebody. They get some kind of medication and they do a little better. But because they don't change the thinking pattern, you know what happens? They regress right back into the same place until then it becomes an oppression. And at that level, the enemy is involved. Spirits get involved in it. Now you're not dealing with flesh and blood. You're dealing with demonic forces. And I want to say to somebody in the name of Jesus, the blood is setting somebody free in this building. Come on and give God some praise. Hallelujah. The pain you felt that nobody's known about, the struggle, the depression, what ends up happening is, is that after the oppression occurs, then the enemy just kind of takes over possession. And it's not necessarily demonic possession, though it can be that, but it can be addiction, it can be drugs, it can be alcohol. You don't fix it by dealing with the alcohol. You fix it by going back to deal with where your thinking got off track. You fix it by going back to whatever the trauma was. And you say, I can't change that, but it wasn't me. It was somebody else. All I know is I'm a child of God. I'm washed in the blood. I've been redeemed. I've been set free. Somebody in the building, give God some praise. Hallelujah. There's some people that act like they don't even believe in demonic spirits. And there are demonic spirits. You know how I know that? I had one when I got saved. I didn't know I I did. Strung out on drugs, all kind of other stuff going on. And they laid hands on me and began to pray for me. I didn't know if I would tell this, but I told it in the first service. So I might as well go ahead. You know what I did? I didn't even realize I'd done it. I hauled up, doubled up my fist and knocked the tooth out of the guy praying for me. You can't just see your pastor do that now, can you? But you know what happened? They didn't give up. They set me free. They prayed until I got delivered. They taught me some things. They taught me about the word of God. Satan, get thee behind me. I'm free. I'm not going to let you ruin my future. I'm tired of looking at myself framed by the past. I'm not. Hallelujah. And we end up at that level, passing the damage on to those around us that we love. Well, how do you get free? You got to experience confession. And what I mean by confession is you don't say, I did this because you didn't. Whatever somebody did, that was them. But what we have to learn to do as believers is say, Lord, you know, I'm not handling this the best I can. I want to handle it the way you would have me to handle it. And so I confess that I've done the wrong things. I turned to mood-altering substances. I got involved in relationships. I did things that were wrong. I blew up a marriage or something else. 
And so I, that is on me. And what I do is I confess that I'm still reacting to trauma that I didn't even realize I was reacting to. But I'm going to update the files right now like one of those iPhone updates, right? I actually updated mine last night. Did anybody else? Got an update on my iPhone, 15.6, whatever, 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 you know? And what you do is you update your system. By that, I mean you update your files. You tell the devil, not hanging on to that anymore. I'm letting go and letting God. I'm turning it over to the Lord right now. I will not be a prisoner to what somebody else did to me. Amen. With the exception of that last step, that's exactly the process Absalom followed. He dwelt on it, did something about it, experienced alienation, bitterness. He regressed. David even brought him home. Remember the story of Joab bringing him back? But then he regressed and set Joab's barley fields on fire. And finally, after being oppressed, he ended up doing the wrong thing. And the enemy possessed him to such a degree that he tried to usurp the throne of his own father. And people hurt. People hurt. What he didn't do was say, God, help me to get over it. I leave it at the altar today. Four things. This is it. Number one, and I want you to hear what I'm saying. If you want to recover your life, Get your joy back. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Number two, do some spiritual house cleaning. Getting this out. It's not supposed to be in me. Getting rid of bitterness. Getting rid of hatred. I'm getting rid of all of that stuff. I'm getting rid of coping mechanisms. I'm turning it over to God. I'm coming clean with God. Do some spiritual house cleaning. And then number three, do some mental and emotional house cleaning. Your thoughts control your emotions. And if you want to know where my experience led me, the biggest problem I had was to be able to change my, my thinking. And I can tell you the verse that turned my life around, and I would suggest you write it down. It's Philippians 4, 8. Anybody know it? Focus on thinking things that are good. The Apostle Paul tells us whatsoever things are Let me pull it up so I don't quote it incorrectly. Philippians 4, 8. And I'm done. Finally, brethren, let this be the last word on the matter. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest. What is truth? The truth is God will help you get above it. You say, my truth is something happened to me. You don't get to live by your truth. You get to live by God's truth. That's the only truth that will set you free. You shall know the truth and the truth you know shall set you free. Amen. And I'm not being unsympathetic. What I'm telling you as a victim, somebody who has lived through it and been there and dealt with depression. This is reality. Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, what 
Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. That's the word of the Lord. Amen. Give God some praise. Prayer counselors, would you come? And the final thing I would say is refocus on God who is our healer and the good things in your life. I know some bad stuff has happened. Happened to me, happened to you. It's just terrible. Terrible. But focus on God because there's a lot of good stuff he wants to make happen in your life too. Control your thoughts so they don't control your emotions. Because if you don't, they will control your life. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. This has been a very personal message and God wants to set somebody free. And I want to see the hand of those in this building that need Christ in their life. Would you raise your hand right where you are? I need Jesus in my life. Come on, raise it up high. God bless you and you. And hands going up. God bless you. Keep raising them. God bless you and you and you and you. And and in the risers, God bless you. God bless you. Keep raising them. I'm going to pray for you. Many hands. Father, we come to you right now and we ask for your salvation and your forgiveness. And would you be the Lord of our lives? We've tried to fix some of this stuff ourselves and haven't done the best job at it. It's not because we haven't tried. We have. We sometimes just don't know how. We like the grace. Give us the grace. Save every person here who's raised their hand, who needs you. Come into their heart. Be their Lord and Savior forever. In Jesus' name. And now let's welcome everyone that prayed that prayer. Come on. I want to hear you. Let's have a party for a moment. Come on, let me hear you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I would not be in a hurry to leave when five minutes may make a difference in your life forever. If I've spoken to you and it's resonated. In fact, this is what I want us to do. If I've spoken to you and that's been you. Would you just stand right where you are? Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Come on, that's it. Just stand. Keep standing all over the building. I admit it, Pastor. I'm bruised. I'm hurt. I've been betrayed. Now, this will be your choice. But if you would like help with that, you don't have to tell one person a thing. Step out in the aisle and come meet me right here. And I want to pray these last couple of minutes for you. Only take a few minutes, but it may change the trajectory of your life for as long as you live. I'm coming to leave this at the altar today, Lord. I am not carrying this anymore. Not going to. It's not going to mess up my marriage. It's not going to mess up my role as a father. Not gonna let it happen. Not gonna let it. Amen. 
come in close. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. People are still coming. Father, and put your hands over your heart right now because that's where the damage was done. Father, heal. Heal the brokenness inside. There are people who have been done wrong. There are people who have been spoken to in an unkind way. There have been horrific things that have been said that scored people deeply. There are people who have been abused emotionally, physically. There are people who've experienced trauma. I'm asking you to heal. Some of you have seen things that have marked you so much. You don't know this, but my wife watched her her uncle be murdered in the front yard, stabbed with a butcher knife. What kind of effect you think that had on a young girl? We've all gone through so much stuff. Father, would you lift that burden right now? Would you bring healing? Lift your hands and just as you do that with your hands turned up, lift up that that burden to God and say, I'm letting it go. I'm giving it to you. I'm not going to deal with it anymore. I don't have to. The cross dealt with it. I don't have to figure it out. You've already figured it out. I don't have to walk with this on my my back anymore. I'm letting it go in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Just somebody shout no more. No more. It stops today. It stops today. The healing begins now. And it will take a while to walk walk through this whole thing. Because you know the way our minds work. We're going down the highway and we're listening to a talk show. And the guy's talking about a dog. And it reminds us immediately we dial the talk show host out. And we remember, hey, I got I to gotta buy my dog some Alpo dog food on the way home. And then that reminds us, you know, I hadn't got his shots yet either. And our brains flit from thought to thought to thought to thought. But the Bible says we have to capture those thoughts. And the way you do that is not beat yourself up. What you do is you just, when you realize your thoughts have strayed, say, I'm coming right back to you, Lord. I'm refocusing my attention on the one that can help me. So in the name of Jesus, I pray for healing. I pray for everyone who is here. This altar is filled with precious, amazing wonderful people who want to turn a leaf and move forward they don't want to pass their pain on to those they love and I'm praying for the cross to take that away and by the blood of Jesus I speak healing 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 freedom 
peace, recovery of destiny. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.